This morning's scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we come this morning to a difficult passage for us to make sense with and come to grips with, Father. And again, as this passage reads, we are hopeless without your Spirit helping us to understand your Word, your thoughts, your will. And we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would guide and direct our thoughts and minds this morning, Father, as we look at this Word that he would teach us things that we didn't know about you and about ourselves, Lord, that would help us in this long journey, this long journey that ends in glorification. And Father, we pray that the thoughts of our hearts and minds be glorifying unto you this morning, Lord, and I pray that the words I speak be not of myself, but be of your spirit. For it is in Christ's name we pray, amen. As we look or looked back at the passage, passages that were leading up to this morning, basically all through the first and second chapter, we know that Paul spends a great deal of time, and, and he wrote quite a bit about wisdom and, and power and strength and those types of things. And if you just sort of skim over those passages, you're going to get the, the indication that you believe Paul is making a generalized indictment against power and wisdom and strength. You may be tempted to think that Paul is writing about them because he believes that they are bad. And I want you to be careful with that opinion. Because power and wisdom and strength, they're not bad at their core. As a matter of fact, they're quite marvelous. Whenever you break them down to the basic foundation. After all, God is full of power and wisdom and strength, right? Those are some of the most wonderful attributes of God. And yet Paul has gone over them and instructed us that, that we are not to pursue those things. And that word pursue is a key word. That God does not choose those types of people. Those types of people do not end up being saved. But the problem with all good and wonderful things, 
is that they become corrupted when they are mixed with sin. Everything good and beautiful and pure and holy that God creates for us to enjoy, we as fallen mankind have an uncanny knack of ruining it, right? Think of something good and I will tell you an example of how sin has ruined it. Everything in life that's pure and precious and holy, we ruin because of sin. Jesus was so correct when he gave the warning, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. It does, right? You bakers know what I'm talking about. Sin permeates the entirety of life. Everything that we enjoy, everything that is good, sin comes and it corrupts and it destroys. Power and wisdom, good things, beautiful, wonderful things that God created and God is, is corrupted and destroyed by sin working in and through fallen man. It corrupts in a horrific way. We must keep in mind that the fact that the leaven leavens the entire loaf isn't the loaf's fault, right? It's not the loaf's fault that that leaven permeates every part of it. It's not power and wisdom's fault that sin corrupts and destroys the beauty that is within that. God has blessed us with so many wonderful things in this life. But sin, working in and through the hands of fallen man, so corrupts them, so corrupts them, that they are merely a semblance of what was originally created. So in these passages, Paul is talking about power and wisdom and strength. And it seems that he was condemning them. But I say he was not. You have to understand that Paul, if he had been condemning power and wisdom and strength, would have been alternatively promoting foolishness, irrelevance, ignorance, and weakness. And that's not at all what Paul was trying to do or the point he was trying to make. God is not foolish. God is not ignorant. God is not irrelevant or weak. Matter of fact, he is the opposite of all that. What Paul is promoting is godly strength, godly power, and godly wisdom. Uncorrupted, unadulterated by sin. That was what, or is what, he was promoting whenever he penned 1 Corinthians. It's an indictment against worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom. Man's idea of wisdom or thought. Because, why? Because they're all corrupt copies of a perfect original. And corrupt copies lose their usefulness. 
As we saw last week, worldly wisdom and worldly power and worldly strength ends up pointing back at one person. Who is that? This guy. That's right. Worldly wisdom has one focus, and that's making much of yourself. You seek worldly wisdom, you seek it because you want to make a lot about me. You seek worldly power, you seek it because you want to make a lot about me. It's that simple. That's why it's bad. That's why Paul spent all this time discussing it and writing about it. Godly wisdom and power and strength is the wisdom and power and strength that leads to eternal life because it's all about the glorification of God. That's exactly why we can't see Jesus in worldly power and wisdom and strength. Because we're looking at ourselves. We're seeking ourselves, our own self-gratification. The wisdom of man points backwards. But the wisdom of God points to the cross. That has eternal implications. That has eternal salvation at its heart. Godly wisdom promotes humility within all of us. It gives us the ability to say, and Anna's not here, what Anna said this morning, we are so undeserving of the grace that God gives us. Worldly wisdom saying, yeah, I'm a pretty good guy or gal. Probably deserve most of it. I've made my own way, right? When failing to give God credit that you didn't do anything. You may have thought you did it, but that's an illusion. God did it for everyone. So as we start, we look at verse 6. Paul describes two different types of people in this verse. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So we've got two groups. We've got mature people and then setting off or contrasting those who are mature are the rulers of this age. I'm going to examine the latter first. Paul basically writes that the rulers of this age do not receive godly wisdom, cannot receive godly wisdom and I suppose my first question is why in the world does Paul refer to rulers where does this come from it would probably make a little bit more sense in my mind had he said the philosophers of this age right we have some group of people that we're going to talk about later called mature and then we have another group that philosophers would have made a lot of sense But Paul doesn't say philosophers. He says rulers of this age. Why did he do that? He gives us some hints. And if you remember back in verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul writes, not many powerful. Many, remember, not many strong, not many powerful, not many wise. Basically talking about those that God chooses. And the category of not many, powerful, I would equate to being a ruler of this age. 
We looked at this last week, chapter 4, verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. So again, this was Paul's attempt and use of sarcasm. Don't misunderstand this passage. He's telling the Corinthians how wonderful they are. He said, you have everything you want, right? Because that was their desire. That's what they were attempting to do. They thought they deserved that. Already you've become rich. Already you've become kings. Kings. And we're glad that you did because, as Paul is writing, I'm just a lowly apostle. I can't achieve the level that you all can achieve. He sort of digs in the knife and twists it at them. Maybe you can help us and enable us to become rulers. When he says us, he's talking about the apostles. Because you are so much more elevated than the rest of us. So you see that they had a desire to have everything that they wanted. They had a desire to be rich and they had a desire to be kings. Rulers. So we kind of get an idea of what's going on in this church at Corinth. And as we go through this, total aside, I want you to take this church at Corinth, and I think you can use it in the church going on in the world today, right? Because these three desires are very prevalent in a lot of churches today. We want to be rich. We want to be kings. We want to have everything we want. And oh, by the way, if you believe in Jesus, he's going to give you that. Well, I'll tell you, he is, but it's not in this life. And that's exactly what was going on in Corinth. They believed that they deserved it now. They believed that they deserved it now. Paul is wanting them to understand this notion that a desire for them to be kings was premature not proper at that time now I don't want us to get the idea that God does not promote or elevate people to being a ruler or rulers we saw it in the Bible we see it today positions of power are not bad in and of themselves right after all who is the most powerful entity God power isn't bad it is the relentless pursuit of power that is corrupting and damnable the relentless pursuit of power and I want you to understand that not misunderstand the point that Paul's making that I'm trying to make here this morning you can see this played out all day every day right politics you name it corporate power Whatever the situation is, it is that relentless pursuit to be that guy that destroys and changes lives and not for the better ever. They get a taste of that power and everything else in their life changes. Sort of like Lord of the Rings. Anybody see the Lord of the Rings? Right? All about a ring, right? And whenever they had that ring, then everything else changed. It gripped and brought down and ended up destroying lives because it was the power in that little ring. 
movie frustrated me, but that's a whole nother, whole nother story. They have a pursuit of power that defines them as human beings. That's the corruption and the problem with kings and power, and we saw it with Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, right? So Paul brings up rulers because there were false teachers in that church at Corinth and had infiltrated that church and was teaching them that God wanted them to be rulers and kings and powerful people, and that was their desire. They sought that. Thus, I believe that is why Paul brings up this example of rulers in this passage. That they're not able to receive the wisdom of God. They cannot receive the wisdom of God. Now, let's look at some scripture that will give us some insight into why it is so difficult for rulers to receive godly wisdom. Mark 11 verses 27 through 33 and they came again to Jerusalem and as he was talking in the temple the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him keep in mind chief priests scribes elders rulers and they said to him by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them Jesus said to them I will ask you one question Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe me? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So let's go back and let's pay particular attention to verse 31. Jesus asked them a question. Should have been a pretty simple and straightforward question. But then they took that question in and they debated the answer. They debated how they were going to answer this question that Jesus posed them. They weren't worried about the truth. The truth of God meant absolutely nothing to these people. That was the last thought on their minds. What were they worried about? This guy. That's it. It's the only thing that concerned them. How were they going to answer in such a way that was not going to destroy their status as ruler? That was it. The only concern that they had was their position of power. And so they chose not to answer. Unfortunately, that's what the pursuit of power does to fallen man. The truth is not important. God's truth is secondary to our own desires all the time. All that is important is we don't say anything or do anything that will obstruct or get in, get in the way of our pursuit of power. And never has there been a greater example of this in the current political landscape. 
And I want no side to be out there and say, well, it's the other side. Nah. It's everybody that's involved. There's no desire for truth. Nobody will tell the truth out of a fear that it's going to cost them in the end. That is the relentless pursuit of power. That is not how godly wisdom is received. You want to know why our government is in shambles? Because it's the pursuit of power that gets in the way of godly wisdom and everybody's got it! That's why it's so hard for rulers to accept and receive godly wisdom. Back to verse 6. So rulers cannot receive the rulers of that age, the rulers of this age, whatever age it is, because they have a relentless pursuit of power, they cannot receive godly wisdom. And so that limits us to one group of people who can receive godly wisdom. And what is that group of people? Fourth word, the mature. The mature can receive godly wisdom. Now what does that mean? Are you mature when you're 12, 15, 30, 50, 80? When do you mature? What is Paul trying to tell us here? And I believe we can gain insight into exactly what Paul is meaning as we jump down to verse 13. So we have a mature group that can receive godly wisdom. Keep that in mind from 6. We're going to jump down to 13. And we impart this in words, he's talking about godly wisdom, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So the Spirit teaches godly wisdom, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So I think there's an absolute connection between the mature in verse 6 to the last word in verse 13, mature and spiritual people are the ones who gain godly wisdom. So if you are mature, then you are spiritual. So you're saying, well, where does that get us? Gives us to, gets us another place that we still don't know where we're at. So those who are mature and spiritual or spiritual receive and comprehend the wisdom of God. So how does one achieve this status of being spiritual? Are you spiritual because you come to church? Are you spiritual because you pray a lot? Are you spiritual because you read your Bible a lot? Are you spiritual because your wife comes to church? How do we get to this spiritual identity that Paul's talking about, which is the key that unlocks the wisdom of God? That's a big deal. We should want to know that, right? Let's jump to Galatians also written by Paul, because I want to know this word spiritual or spiritual people or what it means or what Paul means to consider someone who is spiritual or define them as spiritual. Well, let's look at Galatians 5. And we'll start at verse 16 and go all the way through 6.1. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, 
to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you are you who are... Ding, 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 ding. Just seeing if you follow me. What's the next word? Spiritual. You who are spiritual, restore him... In a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Here we've got Paul using the term that I sought to figure, try to figure out what he meant. Back in verse 13, spiritual. Spiritual people exhibit fruit of the Spirit. So those who practice what... Paul encourages everyone to follow being the fruit of the Spirit are spiritual people. It's not how much you read. It's not how much you pray. It's not whether your wife or your husband goes to church. It is whether or not the fruit of the Spirit are exhibited by your life. Now I want to add something here. Truly spiritual people exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in moments and times when it's the most difficult. That's a test. It is easy to love when you're loved, to have joy when there's joy, to have peace when there is peace, to have patience when it's easy, kindness when someone's kind to you, goodness when someone's good to you, faithfulness when others are faithful, gentleness when others are gentle, and self-control. It is another thing altogether to exhibit these attributes when people are mean to you, when they're unkind, when they're hateful, when they're not faithful, when they're angry, when they're selfish. You know that you are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit whenever you are able to stand in the face of difficult times and be patient and kind and loving and self-control. That's the true test. That's the true test. It's whenever it's difficult are we able to exhibit those types of actions. So the prerequisite to receiving the wisdom of God is not intellect or IQ, but it is being submissive to God through sanctification. The process of becoming more patient, more kind, more loving, more joyful in Christ, exhibiting more self-control. Our sanctification works when submitting to God and we become more of what Paul is writing about in Galatians 5. 
This makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense. You know this instinctively as Christians. Babes in Christ, which is the opposite of the mature. Remember, I pointed from mature to spiritual, and we found out what spiritual means now. So at the other end of the spectrum, we have babes in Christ. So you have the mature, and we have babes in Christ. Babes in Christ do not understand the wisdom of God. It is, maybe if they do, it is on a very superficial level. Babes in Christ are not likely to see or understand God in the same way who is, as someone who is a mature Christian, who is spiritual, as someone who practices and exhibits the fruits of the Spirit. Instead, it is those who are mature or those who are spiritual that receive the wisdom of God. James 3, 13 through 17. Who is wise and and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where... Jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, and impartial and sincere. So we see here that the Holy Spirit lives in us to enable us and encourage us and help us to overcome jealousy and anger and strife and contention and selfishness. Conversely, if we embrace those, if we say, well, that's just who I am, then we never reach the maturity level because we never get the wisdom of God and we never are able to see God in a light that He desires for us to see Him. That's why there's so many immature Christians That's why there's so many immature Christians, because they're not devoted to the sanctification. They want the salvation, but it's like, I'm going to stop there. I'm done. And the jealousy and anger and strife and everything else that they carried over from the past life still exists in the current. And they have no idea who God really is. And that's what was going on in Corinth. They don't engage in that spiritual battle. Mike came in this morning and said, Mike, how are you doing? He said, still fighting. It is a fight every day. If you're not fighting, you're immature. If you're not fighting, you're not getting the wisdom of God. If you're not fighting, you can't see who God is. We don't recognize how far we are from existing exhibiting the fruits of the spirit too many times we give an intellectual assent that yeah we should be doing this but we leave that door and that's all we give to it there's no clarity of focus so we continue to be ignorant in our infant state and we never get out of it so what is the wisdom of god that's hard That's almost impossible 
for a finite, flawed, ignorant person to be able to define any man, any woman, any being other than God. But I think that it's revealed to us by the Spirit and confirms the lordship of Jesus Christ and the work of God in our lives. I think the Spirit does that as we become more sanctified. You know, I say, well, how do you arrive at such a different definition as this? The wisdom of God is not revealed to babes. We know that. We've seen that. We have saw how it works out. Babes in Christ have a difficulty seeing God. They have problems seeing God working in their lives. They have a problem seeing God in everything else in creation. Yet as we grow and as we are sanctified, we become more adept at seeing God. We see God in places we never imagined before, right? We see God working in ways that we didn't even dream of. But it is all part of that sanctification process. I think that is a part of what the wisdom of God does to us and for us. And that he speaks to our hearts, he opens our minds, and we're able to see God in ways that we never could see him. We see God in ways that those who are babes in Christ can't. Because it's all part of the process. When the sanctification happens, we become more Christ-like, the fruit of the Spirit become more prevalent in our lives than even the most mundane things we can see God's handiwork in and on. We can look around and see the beauty of God's creation and what God has done and how everything fits together perfectly. I will uh, close with a little example I want to share with you all. I, I shared it with the family last night, but it was hunting yesterday morning. And you see deer out there and don't know how many of you know when deer goes into estrus or what causes that. It is the amount of sunlight that comes in their eyes. That's how they know that it's time to breed. I'm fascinated by that. And it's not just deer. It's a lot of animals. I know foxes and, and there's a lot of animals that, that are like that. I'm fascinated by that. I will tell you that to take evolution and to throw it in that box in my mind is silly I mean so what happened the deer was created and then oh yeah we need to be recreated and so we're going to use the sun that just happened because of some sort of big bang and the amount of sunlight that comes into their eyes is all of a sudden going to cause them to have a desire to procreate and that's how it's foolishness but as I, I, I thought on that it's a perfect example of as we grow, the mundane things that we might have never thought about before, we can see God's beautiful handiwork on, and we know beyond all doubt that that is from God. That is God's imagination. That is God's creativity. It is His beauty. And He's glorified through that. Not that I'm any more godly than any of you. I just wanted to use the example as as we grow as a Christian and hopefully exhibit 
more fruits of the Spirit, God gives us wisdom and quickens that wisdom by the use of His Spirit so that we can see Him in a new light and we can stand amazed at His grandeur and His creativity and the beauty and the love that He has for all of us and what He has created for us to enjoy and cause to dwell up inside us an eager expectation of what's going to be waiting for us in the next one. So as we close, let us focus on the wisdom of God, seeking the wisdom of God, because the number one way to seek the wisdom of God is to take part in the sanctification process. There's an active participation in that. You're not going to sit on your hands and become more godly. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of Christians do. That's why they never become mature. And they believe that God is created in their own minds. Move on to maturity. Move on to being someone who's spiritual. And as we move on, that faith grows and God imparts wisdom to us that helps us, gives us everything we need to make it to the end. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for the wisdom that is not of the world, but is truth, that is assurance, that is pure. We just help us to be attracted to that, not worldly wisdom that only ends in destruction and death and passes. But let us seek you, And we know, Father, that you give that wisdom and you give it to those who are spiritual, those who exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Help us to do that in our own lives. Lord, help us to have a mindset that that's important, that we need to be more Christ-like, that you've called us to that, that should be a part of our lives each and every day not something that we give a mental assent to on Sunday morning and walk out the door and forget about. Remind us every day. Remind us on Monday morning, on Wednesday morning, on Friday morning that we are to become holy even as you are holy so that we may know you in a better way and that you may be glorified through that. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.